Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast, the internet's best show for students looking to get ahead and study more effectively, but not a good resource for learning how to play the guitar with your teeth, Jimi Hendrix style. <laughs> Ow. My name is Thomas Frank, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Martin Bamey. Oh, hey there. And today we're talking about houses. Specifically, as you probably saw in the title of this episode, what it's going to actually cost you per month to own a house. This is one of our uh, how-to-adult episodes. Like we talked about at the beginning of season three, we're going to be we're going to be uh, interspersing some episodes about you know moving beyond education, moving well not education, moving beyond college or high school or whatever it is, and establishing yourself as an adult. And one of the things that uh, you and I both want to do at some point in the near future is own a home. That is true. So I wanted to talk about what it actually costs because I recently spent an entire Sunday afternoon programming a very complicated Excel calculator to figure this out for myself, which will be in the show notes for this episode. And you're going to be able to use this calculator for yourself. Um, But before we get into the meat of the episode, I did want to mention up front here, something we talked about in last week's episode, uh, College Info Geek now has a Discord server. So Discord is a a great real-time chat platform. So we've got, I think, over about over a thousand people at this point oh, nice. in our Discord. People are talking about how to learn better. They're giving each other productivity tips, career tips. I am really impressed with the conversations that are going on in the Discord. Um, Discord is, I think, mainly aimed at gamers. So a lot of the servers that I've been in in the past have just been like fun joke servers where people are playing games together. But I'm just really happy with the the caliber of the conversations that are going on in our Discord now. There's just people who are helping each other out. And I think it's great because even though we're putting out a podcast every week and video every week and all this kind of stuff, there's only so much you and I can do. And there's only so much expertise you and I have. Yep. And uh, there's a lot of really, really smart people in our Discord. So if you want to join, it's free. Discord's free for everyone forever. I think all servers are going to be free. Uh, including ours, collegeinfogeek.com slash discord. Actually, I guess some servers are not free because I've seen YouTubers who like make their Discord Patreon-only rewards. Huh. I decided not to do that because we don't need to charge people to be in a Discord. <laughs> I mean, they're giving themselves the answers, you know? Exactly. And we can charge people for T-shirts. That's true. Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot to hype up our new t-shirts Whoa. in the last episode. Guess uh, what? Are they out? They are out. So, at, at, well, so like at this point, the, we have a, the, the college info geek logo t-shirt is up in our yeah. merch store. Um, do we have a merch link? Like a special link? I am not familiar with one. Uh, we could make one. You know what? It's going to be college info geek.com slash merch. Bold Because prediction. buy that merch. <laughs> That may already work. If it doesn't, it will work by the time this episode is live because you can just make a redirect very easily. Um, So right now we do have the College of Geek shirt, the uh, official logo shirt for sale, which you have probably seen me wearing a lot in Instagram photos and things like that. And very soon, I'm very excited for our first, well, I guess not our first, but our next uh, really cool like art shirt is coming out, which I'm not going to show you guys yet. But if you go join the Discord, you can find some product mock-ups that I've been posting there. I think I'm just going to, like, let Discord people see things early. Okay. Instagram and Twitter and podcasts, you're going to have to wait if I'm, like, beta testing something. But, like, Discord people are going to get to see some stuff early on. That's fair. And I've also been adding some especially helpful and active people to, like, a special group who make it beta access to the website and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, I think that would be pretty you know pretty good group of people to see things before they should be public that's cool so yeah collegeinfogeek.com slash discord to chat with people and collegeinfogeek.com slash merch if you want to buy dat merch <laughs> buy it up <laughs> i'm sorry I, i'm actually sorry all right <laughs> but maybe save some money because if you want to own a house it turns out that it'll uh, cost a few t-shirts it's gonna cost bet you. more than a few t-shirts yeah So I want to do this episode because it is a very common millennial thing to do, and I'm guilty of this, to go on Zillow 
and just look at houses all day, right? And then cry. Uh, and you, so you cry, but then you go on Zillow. And if you're the kind of person who's been renting an apartment and, you know, you don't have like four roommates, then you're probably used to paying like a pretty significant amount of money every month on your rent, especially if you live in a major city. Yeah. Our rent's not cheap. Nope. You know, and you could, you could get cheaper, but it's still going to be a, a significant amount of money. So if you're paying rent for an apartment, it's a common occurrence that you're on Zillow, you're browsing houses, you go into one, and then you look at the mortgage calculator and you're like, well, hang on a second. That's actually not that much money. $800 a month for the mortgage on that house? I'm already paying $1,200 for, for rent. Like, that's going to be cheaper. Yeah. Uh, as it turns out, it's not. Oh, no. Because they show some... you the cheaper price because it makes you more interested? Well, no, they don't. They don't show you the cheaper price. It is. They're just leaving out details that, like, they aren't predicting at the time. Well, the the main uh, principle here is that owning a home involves more than paying for the mortgage every month. Yeah, there are a lot of other expenses, and it is very likely that your actual month-to-month ownership costs on a house will end up being almost double the mortgage. And what I want to do in this episode is show you exactly why. So prepare yourself because this is going to be a very detailed episode. Uh, I'm hoping for this to be a comprehensive education on how much a house costs month to month. All right. So there's going to be a lot here, but I think when you come out of it, you're going to understand this. And hopefully this is more useful than an entire class on personal finance in high school or college. That's my goal here. That's the threshold that I'm gonna try to beat. All right. Uh, at least for buying a house. And maybe eventually we'll have like a, a playlist of everything. Well, we've got the car buying episodes. This is this is the second part of our house buying series. That's true. I should also mention, we do have another episode that we did uh, maybe a couple months ago that was like the first part of our house buying series. And that was about research on neighborhoods, where you wanna live, yeah, like why why we want to yes. have houses. Why we want to have houses and the criteria for picking one. So go listen to that if you're curious, but this is going to be on what is actually going to come out of your pocket at the end of the month. All right. So I took the liberty of constructing an example for us to follow along with in this episode. And in the show notes, you're going to find a public version of my budget spreadsheet. And on one of the uh, the tools tab of that spreadsheet, you will find a monthly house cost calculator. So if you're actually on your computer, you can follow along with this episode in that if you want. You're gonna wanna make a copy of that spreadsheet for yourself because you cannot edit it on your own, but if you make a copy, you can. So in our example, the house that we wanna buy is $250,000. Okay. Because we're trying to buy a house in Iowa. We're not trying to buy a house in Denver where all houses cost $50 million. That is exactly what they cost here. They all cost that much, right? Man. So $250,000 purchase price. It's a pretty decent house you got there. Pretty decent house. Maybe it's like a four bedroom. You got the white picket fence. It comes with a dog. Actually. It does come with a dog. It comes with a dog. He's digging holes in the backyard. You don't want this dog, actually. He's a junkyard dog. When we say it comes with a dog, we mean that we're too afraid to try to get rid of the dog. So it's your problem now. Just take the house, actually. It's free. Oh, we're scared of the dog. (laughs) Okay. That's a pretty big deal, apparently. All right. So the first thing that I want to mention here is that when you see the purchase price for a house, that is not the total amount that you're going to be paying because there are closing costs. So typically, whenever you see the purchase price for a house, you need to tack on anywhere from around two to 5% in closing costs onto that amount. These are things like an application fee for your mortgage or an appraisal of value, uh, a home inspection, which is very important. Closing in escrow fees where money is held in escrow for a while and somebody wants money for that. There's like an origination fee for the mortgage. Um, there are things out there called no closing, uh, no closing cost mortgages, but there's no such thing as a free lunch. So if you get a no closing cost mortgage from your bank, then they're gonna wrap those closing costs into the mortgage somehow probably by raising the interest rate. And even though the interest rate may be like a small percentage difference, it can add up over the course of 30 well, yeah, or 15 yeah, years. It's like a billion years when you buy a house. Exactly. So for our example, we're gonna say that it is 5% of the purchase price. My estimator tool tries to be conservative 
So I'm not I'm not being like, well, I, I bet it's two percent. No, I put the five percent. Um, so that leads us to a two hundred and sixty-two thousand five hundred dollar final purchase price after the closing costs. So let's talk about your monthly mortgage payment. Basically, your house cost plus your closing costs minus your down payment is your loan amount, right? So I'll see here. What did I say? In my example, I think I said the exa- uh, we're going we're gonna to do a down payment of $30,000 because most people our age are not going to have enough money to put down the typical 20% that everyone recommends, right? Yeah, that's a lot of money to have on hand. That's for a $250,000 house. It's $50,000. Is it? Am I doing that right? Yeah. Yeah. Most of us yeah. don't have 50K laying around. And even if we did, we wouldn't want to part with all of our life savings and have no emergency fund. So I just, I, you know, I said $30,000. I think for maybe a couple who gets married, spends, uh, you know, four or five years in the professional world, saving up money, that's probably doable. So you are going to have a, a mortgage payment that is going to be determined by, you know, house costs, closing costs, minus down payment and your loan amount. And then the mortgage payment is gonna be based on that loan amount, your annual interest rate, the number of payments per year and the number of years in your mortgage. So interest rates, these can be kind of complicated, but these are set by number one, the economy. So if there's a high rate of growth in the economy, that means there's high demand for houses, which means higher interest rates, supply and demand. More higher demand, higher prices. Uh, Housing market conditions. So, and this can vary from locale to locale. So maybe you go to one city and it's like a seller's market, which means the sellers can demand a lot more money. And at another time or another place, it might be a buyer's market where there's, you know, a ton of people trying to sell their houses, not very many buyers. So the buyers can afford to be choosy and sellers are, you know, they're pressured to lower the price in their house to be competitive. So that's going to affect things. Um, there's things like the federal reserve monetary policy. Now this is for us people, but I think most countries are going to have something similar. The fed doesn't set mortgage rates, but they set uh, a rate at which other banks can borrow money from them. And that basically Mm. influences like everything in the economy. Almost all rates, like bond rates, mortgage rates, all that kind of stuff is going to be somewhat influenced by the Federal Reserve's rate they charge banks. Because it's pretty simple. The bank has to pay that interest rate and they want to make money. So they have to have a slightly higher interest rate. But their interest rate needs to be competitive. Otherwise, no one will borrow. So it's just this constant game of of uh, tug of war. And the Fed uses that to their advantage to try to drive economic factors. Uh, those are the things you can't control other than choosing where you live in the housing market conditions. The things you can control are your home location, uh, the loan amount and home price. So you could buy a cheaper house or put a bigger down payment amount. Your down payment amount is a big factor. And then there's the loan term. So there are many different types of lo- uh, mortgages out there, but two of the most common, at least in the US, are going to be either 15 years or 30 years. So I got a bunch of flack on Instagram a while back because I mentioned, I think, somewhere uh, a 30-year mortgage. And someone was like, you should get a 15-year mortgage because then you're paying it off faster and you're paying less in interest. And they're right. So a 15-year mortgage, it's a quicker payoff time, which means less risk for the bank. So they're often going to have a lower interest rate on your mortgage. And it also means that you're paying it off quicker. So there's less interest in general. Yeah. Um. But if you get a 30-year mortgage, you can get more house for your money because if you're spreading the payments across 30 years, then you are paying less per month for your mortgage. You end up paying more in interest, but on a per month basis, you're paying less. So if you're the kind of person who's like, I want that house, you could be paying less and you could potentially be paying you know, more towards the mortgage every month if you choose to, or you could be, you know, diverting more money to investments as well. Um, This is a very debate heavy area. There's going to be people on all sides saying things. So I'm not going to like go out there and say one method is better than the other. Um, Personally, I like the idea of getting a 30 year mortgage. And then if you really want to, you can choose to make extra payments towards the principal every month. 
The only downside to doing it that way is 30-year mortgages have a higher interest rate. In the research I did, um, it was 4.75, and I think this was from Wells Fargo, 4.75% for a 30-year and 4.25% for a 15-year. So you can actually use the calculator to figure out the difference in interest between that. Um, I like the idea of going with 30, that way I can invest more. I, ha I have more in the war chest. I'm not the kind of person who scores my life on like the least amount of interest I paid towards things. Yeah, it's like how comfortable are you holding debt? Exactly. And how much do you want a specific house? Because if you don't have the monthly income now for the house you want, but you really want to live in the house now, the 30 year might make it happen at the cost of, I don't know the interest, but if you're like, okay, mm -hmm. I will pay that over 30 years. And yeah. then I get the house now. Exactly. There's that's always, what you, the, want. you know, there's always the principle of living beneath your means, all that kind of stuff. But there's always an extreme end that you could take any argument towards to yeah. see if it holds water. And the people who are like staunchly in the camp of like only 15 year mortgage, never take a 30 because you're paying more in interest. I would say to them, well, why don't you just live in an apartment until you have 100% of the purchase price? Then you're paying no interest. Why would you take a 15 year mortgage when you could pay no interest ever and you could just live like a pauper until you have $250,000 and buy it all in cash? You could do that, but I'm not the kind of person who wants to spend the next 30 years living in an apartment just so I never pay interest. Yeah. I see debt as a useful tool if used responsibly, but if used in irresponsibly, then it can be crippling. Yeah, it'll ruin your life if you mess it up. But yes. if you're responsible and you don't take loans that you didn't need or you don't mess up your credit cards, that's a, that's a really useful tool to have. Exactly, yeah. Like I drink alcohol sometimes. Clearly that could ruin my life if I drank too much of it. That is true. But if I only have some in moderation, it's probably not gonna hurt me very much, you know? Yeah. All things in moderation. And you, you have to decide for yourself philosophically and given your circumstances, what makes sense for you. That being said, we're gonna go with a 30 year term in our example. Uh, there are fixed or adjustable rate mortgages. So what this means is a fixed rate mortgage is going to be a mortgage that you get 30 years, 15 years, whatever, the interest rate remains the same the whole time. An adjustable rate mortgage means that the rate could adjust. These will always be lower at the start than a fixed rate mortgage. That's the only reason they're attractive but I don't like the prospect of having my mortgage yeah, rate there, shoot uh, up on me at some point. Is there a limitation to how much that could shoot up? Or is it just I like, don't know. oh no, it's 100%. Whoops. I recommend a fixed rate mortgage. Yeah, I don't I don't like variables. I'd, yeah. When, if I'm going to take out 30 years of debt, you know, I want to know exactly what I'm taking out and why. Yeah. And so some people will be like, yeah, well, you could get an adjustable rate. But then like if it goes up, you could refinance over to a fixed. But the thing is... If it goes up a lot, the fixed rate that you're gonna refinance to is gonna be higher than what your adjustable rate has just jumped up to. Like if mortgage rates jump, it's probably, your fixed one is probably gonna not be that great of a deal. So I'd recommend getting a fixed one. That way you know what your payment's gonna be every month. You're not like, I just lost my job and also the economy sucks so they raised my mortgage rate and now I'm screwed. Like, yeah, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Uh, there are different types of loans out there. So there are conventional mortgages, which are conventional. There are FHA loans. So this is the first time home buyers, I think. Um, they, they provide programs for first time home buyers, people like you and me who are young, who probably don't have a whole lot of money to get into a home. So for example, like if you get a first time home buyer loan, I think you can get a, uh, you can pay less as a down payment yeah. if you have like a lower credit score. I think even with a conventional mortgage, you could put as little as 3% down, but they're going to require you to have a better credit score or more net worth or something like that. With an FHA or USDA loan, there could be a little more wiggle room there. Maybe higher interest rates. There's always give and take here, but there are programs out there to help you get into a house sooner rather than later if you want to. But there's always going to be a, an effect on the uh, interest rate because of it. So all of these factors can um, influence the rate that you're going to pay on your mortgage. And the only th other thing I want to mention here is the time at which you buy your house can matter. Because if you bought your house in 2007 at the peak of the housing bubble, yeah, then you were buying an overly inflated home where the price was way higher than the house was actually worth. Whereas if you waited and for some reason had a ton of cash savings and totally weathered 
the stock market crash and the housing crash in 2008 and you bought a house in like early 2009, you got a deal. Yeah. Because everyone was underwater and they were all desperate to sell their houses or had to. And there's tons of foreclosures out there. So you could get a ridiculous deal. So the one thing to be said here, and this is something that my friend Andrew, who was my co-host on Listen Money Matters when I was on that show, has been telling me, he's like, look, we've been in a period of expansion in this country since 2009. It's the second longest period of expansion in U.S. history. And when we look at economic history, we see that the economy operates in cycles of boom and bust. So either we are going to continue to go up and up and up and everything's going to be amazing and magical forever, and it's going to be the longest period of expansion ever, or eventually we're going to get into a cooling off period. And since, you know, we're, we're, we've gone longer than almost every time before, it stands to reason that maybe we're going to be in that period soon. So do you want to buy a house now, or do you want to wait and see yeah, wait if there's so going to be... you can get more with your money. Exactly. So that is sort of persuading me to go to Iowa and rent for a while and see what happens, at least in the next year, I think. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be like, I'm going to wait and see what happens for 20 years because yeah. then you're defeating your own exactly, like, yeah. purposes. I'm not going to wait around. I'm only going to buy a house if we have another Great Depression and houses are $5. Like, you can't be unrealistic. Yeah. But you also want to be aware of what the economy is doing and you try to make a good decision off of that. All right. All that to say, my example rate is 4.75% interest. So we said we're going to go with a $30,000 down payment. Now with down payments on a mortgage, the minimum is usually going to be 3%. Um, it may be higher for you based on your credit score and all kinds of stuff like that. But 3% is like the absolute minimum. And then the minimum, if you don't want to pay something called private mortgage insurance is 20%. So if you pay less than 20% down, which a lot of first-time homebuyers are going to do because they don't have 50000 sitting around, they essentially have to start paying an additional monthly fee, which is to pay for more or insurance that the bank takes out on your loan. Because if you have less skin in the game, if you have only like 3% equity in your house, then there's less of an incentive for you to, at all costs, try to keep your home and try to keep paying your mortgage. And because of that, the bank wants to be insured that they're going to get something back if you default on the loan, if you stop paying. So they're going to take out this insurance policy and you're going to have to pay an extra monthly fee on that. I will explain that in a little bit. Uh, but if you're following the example here, $30,000 leaves us with a loan amount of $232,500. It does leave you with those two amounts. And they're put together. Two, three, five thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's two hundred thirty-two thousand five hundred bucks. All right. So the next thing we gotta talk about here is LTV, which stands for loan to value ratio. I was hoping that I would like really quickly come up with some funny acronym. Nope. But no. You failed. Lions to Velociraptors. <laughs> That's a good ratio. <laughs> the, well, if you have more lions than Velociraptors, the lions are still dead. It's a lot of lions to take down one Velociraptor. Actually, that's not true. I was thinking of Jurassic Park Velociraptors, but when you go and research paleontology, Velociraptor was actually quite small and had feathers. But if it's lions to Deinonychus, now that, that's a matchup. All right. Anyway, <laughs> loan to value ratio. This is the ratio of the loan amount to the appraised value of your home, not to the complete amount that was your loan plus down payment because there's closing costs, remember. This is the loan to the value of the home. In this case, it's 93, meaning the loan's dollar amount is equal to 93% of the home's value. $232,500 is 93% of $250,000. So this is the case even though the down payment was 12% of the home's price because of closing costs. So the LTV is just one factor that the bank uses to determine the risk they're taking on by lending to you. Um, this will factor into the interest rate on your mortgage. So keep in mind that if you if you pay way, way less for your down payment, your interest rate may be higher. Again, it's a risk factor. And also the PMI we talked about, that private mortgage insurance. So the bottom line here, going with a low down payment can get you into your home earlier, but it's gonna cost you more in the long run. 
both in the form of PMI and also in the form of a larger overall mortgage because of your interest rate and the fact that your principal balance starts out being higher. Yeah. You know, if you put down 60%, then you're, you're only paying off a 40% loan. It's not very much. So if it's worth that, you know, if it's worth it to you, then it's worth it to you. This week's episode of our show is brought to you by our friends over at Brilliant, which is one of the best tools on the internet for learning math, science, and computer science in the most effective way possible. And I say that because Brilliant takes an incredibly active approach to the way they develop courses. Instead of sitting in a lecture and being talked at or reading a textbook passively, you're going to be jumping immediately into challenging and interesting problems in whatever subject that you are interested in right away. So when you click on, say, their computer science algorithms course, or because this is a very numbers heavy episode, their math for quantitative finance course, you're going to find a problem presented to you immediately. And that's going to, number one, improve your ability to learn actively. And number two, get you interested in the course more quickly, which is going to help you actually finish the course and learn how to use these skills in engineering and science and math and computer science, all this kind of stuff. So to give you a bit of a preview of what you're going to find in their course catalog, like I said, there is a math for quantitative finance course. So in that course, you're going to find things like probability explained, expected values, confidence estimates, all things that are related to investing and making money. So if you're curious about those topics, definitely dig into that course. But I also am going to recommend their logic course because at a fundamental level, you're going to want to learn how to think more clearly and make better decisions when you're juggling tons of information. You're also going to find courses on things like gravitational physics and astronomy, solar energy, computer science algorithms, and even machine learning. And especially interesting to me, there is an automotive engineering course coming as well in the very near future. So if you want to start learning for free today and also get 20% off of their premium subscription, then be one of the first 83 people to go over to brilliant.org slash college info geek. And when you sign up with that URL, you're going to get that 20% discount if you're one of the first 83 people to sign up. And you're also going to show them that you came from this show, which helps to support this show. So big thanks if you do that. Big thanks to Brilliant for sponsoring this episode. And a big thanks to our second sponsor, Todoist. Todoist is one of our favorite productivity apps. It is, in my opinion, the best to-do list and task management app out there for individuals like students trying to manage all the things they got going on in their lives. And the reason I love Todoist is that it allows you to create multiple different lists. So my suggestion for you is to create a list for every single class you have, as well as every other what I like to call life bucket. So maybe uh, every single campus organization that you're active in and every single personal project you have. That way, when the semester starts, you can use the syllabesium. Is that the word you like to That's use? That's my new plural, yeah. The syllabesium or syllabi to go through and create an actual list of all the due dates for projects and papers and tests and all that kind of thing. And then you can actually go into their today or next seven days view to see what's coming up in the near future. And this is very important for staying on top of things. Keeping a well-organized task manager is the way that you're gonna make sure nothing slips through the cracks and that you don't start getting this you know, heightened anxiety as the semester goes on. You're staying on top of things. And if you go over to todoist.com education and you're a student, you can get their premium subscription for a full 50% off. That is just $1.20 per month for premium features, including project templates, custom task views, automatic task reminders. And I do want to give a special shout out to project templates. This is my favorite feature of Todoist because if you've got something that you need to do often, you can actually create a project template and just automatically import it and have all those tasks automatically populate instead of having to type them out over and over and over again. This is really important for repeated projects, repeated tasks that have a lot of steps. Because if you don't have a project template, then you're probably not going to type out all the tasks and eventually you are going to forget to do something. I have personal experience with this because in the past when I have not had a project template for my YouTube channel, I would forget to do things like adding the closed captions or adding tags or adding videos to a playlist. But now that I have a project template, I never forget to do it. So once again, todoist.com slash education, that is T-O-D-O-I-S-T dot com slash education to get their premium features for 50% off if you're a student and to show your support for this show. Big thanks to Todoist for sponsoring us and being a supporter and let's get back into the episode. All right, so finally we get our first overall payment. 
our mortgage payment per month is $1,212.83 per month. Now, is this is this is the one that Zillow shows? Does Zillow include the this PMI? Does it include the... So Zillow does have a tool where you can go and see things like PMI and a very rough estimate of some other expenses we'll talk about here. But when you're looking at the house and you see that like estimated mortgage right beneath it, this is what you're going to see. So for $250,000 house, assuming that interest rate, assuming a 30-year mortgage, you're going to see about 1200 bucks a month, which can seem very doable for some people. Yeah. Wow, that's less than my rent. And yet the rest of this episode, Zillow <laughs> did not put down there, did they? Well, yeah, th- that's what I want people to understand. Uh, so to give people some perspective, the total sum of your payments on this $250,000 house is $436, or no, $436, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, that's that's it. All right. Oh, well, it's so cheap. Now, $436,618.82. So the interest cost is $204,000. That's a bit. That's the cost of getting into your $250,000 house for only $30K up front. You know, that, that's life, though. That's yeah. what the majority of home buyers are going to have to pay. And I think most people would say it's worth it. Because they get to live well, you, in a house. Yeah, you for get to live years. in a home. You don't you have to, to like build, wait yeah. until retirement age to say, finally, I can get a house. <laughs> now I can finally start a family and do all those things I wanted to do and have a garage. And now I'm 70. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's worth it. There's some timing problems. All right. But that is just the beginning of your costs and woes. So next we have what we talked about a few minutes ago your private mortgage insurance. You have to pay this if your down payment is below 20%. Um, the other thing I want people to keep in mind is that if you go with an FHA loan, which a lot of people will, and if you pay less than 10% down payment, you got to pay that PMI for the life of the loan, unless you refinance later on. And to give people a review, refinancing basically means you take on a new loan that pays off your old loan, and then you're paying off that new loan. And people do this because they can often get a new loan that is more favorable, lower interest rate or maybe more payments or a longer term. They do it because it's advantageous in some way. Uh, But if you can't do that, then you're paying PMI for the life of the loan. If you pay more than 10% on FHA loan, or if you take a conventional mortgage, then you can stop paying PMI the moment you hit 20% equity in your house. So keep in mind, if you're like, I want to do FHA, I want to pay less than 10%, I want my house right now, then you're, you're basically throwing money away because you're spending like 30 years paying whatever your PMI payment is for no reason. It's just like a weird penalty for not paying very much for your down payment. Um, So let's talk about PMI. Factors in PMI, and I will have a very nerdy chart that people can go look at. Oh, good. It's real nerdy. Uh, Your credit score matters a lot, so you should keep up to date with your credit score. I use creditkarma.com, it's free. You can look at your credit score as much as you want, which is great. Uh, I think the way they make their money is by recommending credit cards. So Mm. you could just, I don't know, not click on their recommendations if you don't want them to make money. I usually do a lot more thorough credit card research instead of just taking recommendations. Just like clicking one that's like, you're pre-approved, yay. Yeah, I don't do that. Uh, And also make sure that you are working as early as possible to build good credit. You know, I think both of us have been building credit for several years now. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I started when I was 18 years old. I started when I got to university, not okay. community college, but right after. Well, you started later than me, and I think your credit score has been better than mine for quite a while. And or I, It was always at, better at, than mine for some, some reason. At some point, yeah. For, there were definitely, there were definitely those know. times. I think you may have bounced above me when you... I did recently. Yeah. I don't know why. But I mean, like, my credit score is just fine. It's not hurting me. I bounced above you because I paid off my last car loan. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, you paid off the car, and they were like, there you go. Martin's a loser. He didn't pay off Tom's car. Yeah, why didn't you pay off my car? You could have gotten a 900 credit score. Whoa. Guaranteed. I'm not lying if you pay off my car. Yeah, like, it's it's just like credit credit cards and stuff seem so scary, but you really, really, really want to build this stuff early because, I mean, this house is now more than, like, it's almost double what you'd think it should cost. Mm Mm-hmm. And you want to lower that by doing simple things like just paying for Spotify on a credit card for a few years, you know? If Yeah, if nothing else, and if you're too young to get a normal credit card, if you have no credit history, get a secured credit card, 
which means you pay collateral to get it. So say it's got a $500 limit, you got to deposit 500 bucks yeah. to get it. But this is a good first step for people. Um, make sure it has no annual fee, lock it in a drawer, set it to pay your Spotify and your Netflix and set it on auto pay. Yeah, then just, that yep. way you're just getting automatic credit score on the record every month, every single month. Oh, hey, he paid his credit card on time. And you oh, can't hey. build that super fast most of the time because nope. age of your credit is part of the things they factor in mm-hmm. there. So you really want to like start as soon as possible to make this house part better. And I think we, I think our budgeting episode talks about credit cards. So we'll that put that reasonable. in the show notes. Yeah, we'll have that in the show notes. Anyway, your credit score massively affects both your mortgage rate, but also your PMI. So if you're going to pay PMI, you're going to want to have good credit. Uh, also your LTV, your loan to value. So if you want to go look at the charts here, you can, but for example, if you've got an LTV between 97 and 95.01, meaning it, your loan counts for 97% or you know all the way down to 95% of your home's value, then the bank is gonna take out a policy that covers 35% of the loan. Meaning if you default, they can make a claim and they can get 35% of that back. Okay. Now by contrast, let's say your LTV is somewhere between 90 and 85%. If it's that, that means you're starting with more equity in the home, there's less risk to the bank, and they're only gonna get one that covers 25%. And the amount that you're gonna have to pay every single month is going to be influenced by how much coverage they have to take out, right? If I take out a billion dollars in insurance coverage, that's gonna be a huge premium every month. If it's like $5, then it's gonna be like a penny every month. Um, I will have a chart for the very, very nerdy people here. And the other thing I want to mention is if you want to use um, my my bubble, my budget spreadsheet here with the home calculator, you're going to want to potentially tweak the PMI calculation cell because my example here and my spreadsheet assumes a credit score of above 720. Now, what I would say is if you're just starting out, then... Uh, if you have very little credit history, then just like assume 720 and then work to build yourself up to it. And I don't know, I don't want to speak for everyone here because there are many different life circumstances out there, but if you can, it may be a good idea to work on building your credit score up if it's not high and then getting it home. But again, there's going to be people out there who that's not feasible for. So you may want to go change those values in the cell and I will let you figure that out because I cannot provide support for complicated Excel formulas. If you study them for long enough, they will make sense. Um, So with an LTV of 93, which we talked about because it's a $30,000 down payment, the bank is gonna take out PMI coverage at 30%. And that will give us a monthly PMI cost of $73.63. So tack that onto the mortgage. All right. All right, next one we're going to talk about, and this is going to be your biggest expense, most likely. Oh, no. Aside from the mortgage, and this is property taxes. So this is the thing people don't think about. When you are renting an apartment, there's nobody straight up charging you property taxes. You're paying them because that's built into your rent. Like the land, or the landlord has to pay the property taxes, and they're just going to charge you enough rent to cover it. But when you own a home, you're paying these directly. So these are going to be completely dependent on where you live. If you live in Colorado, well, the property taxes are actually really low here. But They're some of the lowest in the country. The property values, however. The, yeah, the property values more than make up for it because everyone wants to live in Denver. Well, I mean, you could go, you can go live in Brush. You like, know, that like tiny little I, town that I you pass every that. time you go on I'm I-70. I'm not even familiar. There's like no one that lives there. I'm sure the house prices are very low there. Yeah, but if you want to live in Denver, everything's like... Yeah, it's very expensive. If you don't have half a million, you need to walk away. <laughs> yeah. But in Iowa, house prices are lower, but the property taxes are higher. I think Iowa is about middle of the pack for state property taxes. So let's see here. Um, for the location that we're likely to end up in Iowa, I found a figure of 1.789%. So this is assessed every year on your home's appraised value. Um, So basically we can just take $250,000 times, and this is gonna be 0.01789, because you have to turn that percentage into a decimal to do the math. And then you divide that by 12 to your monthly payment, because that that percentage applied to the house value is gonna be per year. So divide by 12, 
and we get a value of $372.71 per month. So like I said, unless you have horrible credit and you put 3% down and you have a giant PMI payment, then this is likely to be the second biggest expense only next to your mortgage. It's pretty big. All right, we have a few more and I'm gonna go a little bit faster through these ones because hopefully people's eyes aren't glazing over. I don't know, maybe I should take a swig of this like cayenne pepper drink and just like cough all over the podcast and ruin my mic. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up. Wake up, people. Wake up, sheeple. It's time for numbers. <laughs> the government's dumping chemicals into the water supply. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. We also have homeowner's insurance. So if you live in an apartment, you probably already pay for renter's insurance. So this is not going to be that foreign of a concept to you, but you're going to be paying for more insurance than just what your renter's insurance covers. Your renter's insurance covers like property. Yeah, just your, so your stuff. Maybe you're paying for like, I don't know, $10,000 of coverage because you could probably replace everything you own for 10K. Uh, this is different. So I had to make an estimate here and this is something that is very difficult to make an estimate for. So you'll find that my budgeting tool doesn't have like a cool formula for this. I actually found an estimator tool at insurance.com. It's gonna be in the show notes and it will allow you to put in the location where you wanna live and how much coverage you want and your home's value. So I put in Des Moines, Iowa for my estimate. I put in a $300,000 dwelling cost because it was at levels of 100,000. I couldn't put in 250, so I just put in 300. I put in a $1,000 deductible. And for those of you who don't know, deductible is basically an amount that you have to pay before insurance kicks in on anything. Yeah, so if something went wrong and everything Yep. was up in flames. You got to pay at least a thousand before you get the rest. Yeah. Like my, I think my health insurance deductible is 3,500 bucks. So if I break a leg, I got to pay the first 3,500 before the insurance will cover everything else. Yeah. That's just how insurance works. Uh, the lower your deductible, the higher your premium, the higher your deductible, lower the premium. That's how it works. And I put in a hundred thousand dollars of liability. So this is, they're going to cover a hundred thousand dollars of expenses incurred if I'm legally responsible for somebody getting hurt or property damage. If I like, I don't know, chuck a kettlebell out of my backyard and it lands on my neighbor's lawnmower, then my homeowner's that, insurance a tragedy. <laughs> probably going to pay for that. Um, I'm, I'm maybe not going to chuck kettlebells yeah, try not out to. of my backyard or I'll aim better. Well, I actually, you know what? I am going to chuck kettlebells. Who am I trying to kid? It's fun. Fair. Just watch the fence. Yeah. And uh, if you have a trampoline, maybe like <laughs> put an alligator moat around it so someone's kid doesn't go jump on it. I'm and already hurt scared themselves. right now just imagining being around the trampoline. <laughs> I'm so scared of somebody like stupidly coming onto my property and falling and then suing me. Like I, I've heard enough cases about that. Yeah. I don't know how you prevent. Well, you've got to like put waivers all over your lawn that you're forced to sign by footprint. And then there's there ink in front of it so that they've automatically <laughs> signed waivers as soon as they've entered your property. I'm just going to get the most high powered, mean bulldog of a lawyer who will literally make the other people melt in the deposition just with his look. Good. Then they can't sue me. That's fair. Melted people can't sue you. So <laughs> Anyway, um, the estimator tool gave me a rate of $127 per month. All right. Now we have a few extra costs. We've got monthly repair costs. So this is obviously variable. One month, your AC unit might break and you have to pay $5,000 to fix that. Maybe once every 10 years, you have to replace the roof, which can be really expensive. Most months, you probably don't have to pay a lot. Maybe you pay for a new toilet handle because yours broke or something. Yeah. Um, but a good estimate that I found in research is 1% of your home's value per year should be at least budgeted for for repair costs. So for that, we have a rate of $208.33 per month. With this one and also maintenance, but especially this one, you need to keep it in mind as a potential cost, but also keep in mind that you're probably not going to actually be paying this 200 bucks per month but you do need to make sure you have like money saved up in case something yeah, breaks. It's like you'd want to put this in an extra savings area. Yeah, so actually, you know, if, if you buy a house, maybe say, all right, I'm now going to start saving $200 a month in cash savings just in case something happens. Yeah. Because you don't want to move into your new house and then have your water heater break and have no money left over to repair it. That's what we in the professional industry call a pretty crappy situation. Yeah. So, yeah, sucks. Uh, we also have monthly maintenance. So 
I don't know, gas for your lawnmower, paying someone else, salt for the water softener, um, random stuff that you don't pay for in apartments. I guess some people don't pay for the light bulbs in apartments. So maybe light bulbs would count there. Yeah. I tend to pay for light bulbs because I don't want to call a maintenance guy up, but there's going to be maintenance. So I estimated 45 bucks a month for monthly maintenance. You've got electricity. So I put 150 a month for a you know decent four bedroom house in Iowa where the summers are brutal and the winters are brutal. Um, water, I think water was like 100 bucks a month in our Ankeny house. Sounds about that right. That was five people. That was a lot of people. So I'm going to put 100 a month, but you could maybe cut that to 50 if yeah, it's just once, two people. Yeah. yeah. Trash was, I think, $25 a month is what we paid. Um, natural gas was about 65 a month. So that leads us to our final total ownership costs on a monthly basis. Our grand total is $2,379.50. Remember that our mortgage was $1,200. So this is almost double. Yeah, Again, so if I'm paying $1,200 for rent and I'm like, hey, I can get this mortgage and then I just do it, I'm going to be broke pretty soon. Yeah, make sure you have double that sitting around. Uh, again, like we said, for repair costs, you're probably setting aside $200 a month into savings. You're not actually paying it out of pocket every month, but you want to make sure that you can afford that if something bad happens. So this is what you need to keep in mind when you are deciding whether or not you want to buy a home. Do I have, you know, for this $250,000 estimate, do I have almost $2,400 a month sitting around that I can afford to budget for housing costs alone. Yeah, because you still got like your cable and your Netflix. Your cable, your, your Netflix. Food, Your I guess. internet, food, your car payment, student loan payments. Life's so expensive. Adult, adulting sucks. I would just want to oh, go play. Oh, the counseling that you need to go to because this sucks. Well, no, because you can just say there. it be that way sometimes. It do be That's that way free. sometimes. What if they got like a really nice voice, like a nice baritone, yeah. and you're just like, hey, I'm mate, really calm now. It be that way sometimes. Oh, you're right. It does. It it do be that way. There it is. Um, There's a lot of costs associated with growing up, which is why you should listen to our career episodes so you can make all the money. Yep. <laughs> That's my favorite solution. That is, yeah. Well, my actually, that is unironically my favorite solution is just find a way to make more money. I mean, budgeting is great. Being frugal is great. Well, I mean, yeah, sometimes you have to. But obviously, my favorite solution is where I don't have to do that as much. <laughs> Doesn't that, that sound solution. better? That is a very good solution. Uh, so hopefully you guys know now. Yeah, so now you know. And if you want to find the show notes for this episode, cigpodcast.com slash 225 is where you can find them. That is where you're going to find that link to my budget spreadsheet. So... Um, if you want to follow along, you can actually put in the numbers yourself. If you want to buy a more expensive house or a less expensive house, you can plug in those numbers and you're going to get a roughly accurate number. Again, things like homeowner's insurance and things like the PMI calculations may be slightly different if your credit score is different. So I can't guarantee that it's going to be super accurate, but it's going to be a good estimating tool and certainly better than just looking at the mortgage on Zillow and thinking you could afford that. Um, the other thing I'll mention about my budgeting spreadsheet is that once you have your house price in there, you can go over to the main tab and actually see how that is going to affect your income because you can put in your monthly income from your job and maybe any freelance gigs you have. You can put in your monthly car payment, student loan payment, grocery estimate, all that kind of stuff and see what's left over at the end of the month. How much do I have to invest? Am I investing enough? Am I spending too much on my house? In fact, if you go to that first tab and you have too much uh, money in the housing cost category for what you're making, it's going to show you a little red box. I think if it's above 30%, because there is a rule of thumb out there that you shouldn't be spending more than I think 30% of your take-home pay on your housing-related expenses. There are many rules of thumb out there, but these are designed to help you not feel financially stressed all the time, you know? No point in having a big old baller house if you're constantly racked <laughs> yeah. with anxiety about well, not being able to afford it. You've got a lot of rooms to cry in. That is true. That's nice and comfortable. There are a lot of rooms to cry in, but eventually the repo men are going to come and take away your house. So live beneath your means, be responsible, and be educated about yeah. all these things. Uh, once again, cigpodcast.com slash 225 is where you can find the show notes or 
Click the link in the YouTube description down below if you're watching this over on YouTube. Um, we've also got our Discord, so collegeinfogeek.com slash Discord and collegeinfogeek.com slash merch if you want to get the shirt. I don't know. Maybe like you put in the numbers and you were like, I can actually afford that house. And I also have 20 bucks left over for a College Info Geek shirt. That's nice. Whoa. That's nice. I don't know who's got 20 bucks left over after buying a $250,000 house, but somebody probably does. Yeah. And they can can afford the shirt. Um, CollegeInfoGeek.com slash resources is where you can find our college packing list. If you're like just listening to this house buying episode as like a really far in the future thing. And I think we've got some ultra responsible people who are probably doing that they're like oh i'm gonna buy a house in a decade but i want to know that's fair well now they can build their credit yeah you can build your credit in fact you could get a secured credit card and maybe like buy your textbooks for the next semester on it pay that off right away boom credit building there it is actually i did do that literally did that because my scholarships did not cover textbooks and i think that's it yeah i mean if if you've got other questions about houses or about other adult-like things that we could cover, again, do something. Tweet Tom. Tell Tom to do it. Yeah. Tweet me, Tom Frankly, on Twitter and Instagram, or ask questions in our Discord. I think the Discord actually may be a good place for reader questions. That is so probably I'm going to have to find, like, a mod or someone to collect them. Cause yeah, because otherwise you got to scroll through, like, a million years. It's true. Yeah. Maybe there's some, like, little bot that can just Is there a way to tag the them or something? We'll figure it I out. Know. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Maybe I'll have like a secret mod. That's only. my reader question. Maybe I'll make like a mod only chat where they can paste questions that they are good into it. So they're like collected. That'd be cool. That'd be pretty nice. Anywho, if you guys are enjoying this show and you found it valuable in any way, a great way to support it and help us grow is by giving us a rating and review over on Apple podcasts. Um, so definitely do that if you have a couple of minutes free. It helps us to bump up the rankings. It helps us to know what we're doing and what we can improve upon, what you guys like and dislike. So thank you so much if you do that. If you haven't subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, that's also a great thing for both helping our show grow and also helping you get notifications of new episodes every single Monday when they come out and uh, having a way to listen to the show on the go if you are a YouTube listener. You can subscribe in a podcast app, and that makes things really, really easy. And there are other podcast apps out there. Um, I think Google has an official podcast app now, and there's Pocket Casts and many other things. So check that out. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this episode was helpful to you guys, and we will see you in the next episode. Stay cute.